0: Good morning, Harvest Muskoka, Harvest Prairie Sound. Why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2. If you didn't bring your Bible this morning, we have people coming forward right now with Bibles. If you throw your hand up, we love to get a Bible into your hand. If you forgot your Bible, didn't bring a Bible, if you don't own a Bible, then please take this home as our gift to you. Grab a copy of God's Word, whether it's this Bible you're grabbing now, and if it is that, it's the, the page numbers in your bulletin, or grab your own Bible, go to Galatians chapter 2. I don't know if you have this, this memory that, I, that I've got. Maybe maybe you have the same thing going on when you were a kid, but I remember on those long road trips where you come home super late, like, like so late, it's way past your bedtime, it's super dark, you've fallen asleep in the car, and you have this memory, and then you'd wake up in the morning in your bed with your PJs on. Like, how did, how, how did that happen? Like, you're driving home, you're, you're super tired, so you're gonna go to sleep. Now, I grew up in the, as a kid in the 70s and early 80s, so it was great because you could sleep wherever you wanted in the car back then, right? You could sleep across the floor, up in the window, right? Parents didn't care about your safety back then. It was great, okay? We, we could ride bikes without helmets. We could play with lawn darts, use liquid paper. It was a good time to be alive, all right? <laughs> Lots of eyes poked up, but we had a way better time than the millennials. Okay, so here's the thing. So. You would fall asleep, right? And, and, and you would wake up. And how, how did that happen? It happened this way because as the car rolled into the driveway, my father would get out, right? He would take my sleeping body and he would carry me into my room. He would put on my pajamas, put me to sleep, and I would wake up in a whole different place, all ready for bed. It's such, listen, such a picture of grace, I made it from here to here with no effort on my own. I did none of it. I was carried by my father. And he didn't just leave me in my bed. No, no, PJ's put on, all ready to go, all his effort, none of my effort. It's the beauty of the gospel. It's the beauty of what God does for us. If you're here as a follower of Christ, you understand that that's the picture of you, that that you did nothing To go from being in sin, lost, without hope, to being made alive again, full of hope in Christ, it was all your heavenly Father that carried you from death to life. If you're here and you don't know Christ, you're kinda sorta figuring this thing out and you're wondering, hey, what's this whole Christianity deal? That's it, there it is. It's not you earning your way, you figuring stuff out, you getting stuff all together so you could find your way to figure out, how can I be with God? No, it's this thing we call grace grace. It means unearned favor, unmerited favor. God does all the carrying. This is the foundation of Christianity. This is the whole point of this letter to this Galatian church that Paul's writing. It's because what happened was they took the foundation out The foundation of Christianity, and listen, if you remove the gospel, the good news that it's all Christ's work, not our work, if you take grace out, the whole thing collapses. It's Jesus. It's all Jesus. When we start adding, well, it's Jesus plus, listen, it's Jesus plus you gotta live a holy life. And if you wanna be accepted by God, yeah, yeah, that grace thing's great, but then you, what happens when you sin? We all do. If it's Jesus plus our holiness, that foundation falls out. Well, it's Jesus plus health and wealth. Like, you'll, you'll get all this, too. That's what fallen Jesus is all about. Well, what happens when I get sick? What happens when my finances are in trouble? What happens when life starts to crumble around me? Listen, if it's Jesus plus health and wealth, the whole thing crumbles. It's Jesus' only. Well, it's, it's Jesus plus, Jesus plus happiness. And I, I'm okay with God because when, when, I've got this. Listen, what happens when life isn't happy? And if, if that's where your hope is, if you're placing your soul on that, like this is what's gonna save me, it will crumble. It can't withstand. It can't uphold the weight of our soul. Is Jesus only. That's the foundation. So Paul's writing this letter to this church that's missing that. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. It says, after 14 years, I, this is Paul talking, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation set before them, through, though privately, those who seemed, to be, seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles, in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. What's going on here? Paul, we know he's being challenged. This church in in Galatia, people have come in and said, hey, this Paul guy, he's making it all up. This whole gospel, only Jesus, only foundation, it's not true. He doesn't speak with any authority. And he said, no, 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 listen, after I met Christ, he talks in Galatians 1, in the first chapter, after I met Christ, I was changed radically from being a murderer of Christians to now preaching the gospel of Christ. He says, I spent three years in Arabia being taught by Christ. I then spent 14 more years, what was he doing? He was preaching, he was teaching, he's planting churches. He then goes up to Jerusalem with Barnabas and Titus, and what's he doing? He's coming and saying, hey, here's the gospel I've been preaching. This is what I've been ta- I've been talking about It's only Jesus. It's not our Jewish traditions, It's none of this other stuff, it's only Jesus. That's our hope, that's what we're living for, dying for. It's all about Jesus only. And he's going up there saying, hey listen, would you check out what I'm teaching? He said, "Listen, I got it from Jesus. I, it's straight out of the scriptures. Like I know it's true, but listen, this is what I teach. I want to show it to you guys." So he, said, he went to those who were influential, those in the church who were the leaders of the early church. Goes, "This is what I'm doing," and I love this because we so often see Paul as being this courageous, bold dude, right? That's when I read Paul, I'm like, "Man, I want to be bold like him." Paul was also humble. Here's the guy, he, He's got the truth. He, he could have went into Jerusalem and just say hey, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Jesus came down from heaven for me personally, all right? He, he then didn't just call me to be a pastor. He personally called me an apostle and sent me out. I mean, I hung out with him in Arabia. So how about you guys in Jerusalem just sit down, be quiet, and let me do my thing? No, Paul doesn't do that. He goes, this is the message of the gospel. Not not pushing himself and saying, this is what I'm teaching. And he says he he doesn't want to run in vain. He doesn't want to, hey, I don't want to do this gospel thing. I don't want to give my life to this, to pour out my life for the church. If the church is going to mess this up, if you guys are going to let legalists come in and add more to the gospel, he goes, I'll be doing all this for nothing. He sees that grace is under attack, and he wants to make sure that the church continues to fight for the foundation of of our faith, which is the gospel, which is grace, which is Jesus. The foundation of my life, of your life, if you're a Christ follower, the foundation of this church is grace, and listen, listen, that foundation will always be under attack. And what's it gonna be under attack with? Here's our first point this morning. Grace will be attacked by legalism. Grace attacked by legalism. What is legalism? Legalism is this. It's, it's right behavior often. The behavior isn't what's in, in, in question, but it's a wrong heart. So right behavior with a wrong heart. So they're having this discussion about, hey, how do you get into the church? How do you get, get right with God? What's this look like? Do, do we need to follow all the Jewish customs? In particular, looking right here, we're going to look at they're looking at circumcision. Do you need to be circumcised if you're a Gentile? Do you need to follow all the way through with all our Jewish customs to be saved? And verse three it says he went up with, with who? verse one, sorry, with with Titus. Verse three goes on and says, but even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. So here's this guy, Titus, a Gentile, not a Jewish guy, not raised in anything but what he was raised in, and what's he doing? Titus was leading, he was preaching, he was pastoring, he was seeing God do all this great work through the Gentile church. Titus had a book of the Bible named after him, all right? Like, you know you're doing pretty good when, all right? Huge victory for the gospel here. What, what, what's going on? He's saying, Here's Titus, and, and he wasn't circumcised. You think, okay, why is this such a big deal? What's this whole circumcision thing? Why, why is that a big deal? Isn't it great that it's not a big deal for us? Do you know why? Because the gospel won right here. It would be a big deal. Circumcision was this Old Testament law, this ritual that said, Hey, listen, if you're going to enter into worship, To pursue after God, you need to do something to your body, which indicates where your heart is, and there was this physical thing, circumcision, a way of saying, hey, listen, I'm a part of this. I'm giving everything up for this. And that's what they're arguing about. Wait a minute, could I be a follower of Jesus, but not adopt the Jewish culture? Because before Christ's life, death, and resurrection that fulfilled all the Old Testament laws. Jesus says, I've come to fulfill all the laws. If you wanted to be part of God's covenant people, you'd have to go through with circumcision, all the other regulations. And here they're saying, wait, wait, you can't be a follower unless you are circumcised. You need Jesus, plus you need our culture as well. I mean, think about it, think about it in in, in church. How much time, how much energy do we waste on cultural differences? Things not central to the gospel. Let's it in a big picture way, I've worshipped in churches that aren't in our culture, down in Nicaragua, worshipping in Nicaragua. Listen, what would happen if during that church service in Nicaragua, if I stood up and said, this is an abomination. You have dogs and chickens running through the worship center. I am offended. You all should be offended because you can't worship Jesus with dogs and chickens. Yeah, they, they don't give a rip, right? <laughs> if, if you were to show up at one of the Harvest Bible chapels in West Africa right now, w- with the gospel as their foundation, their worship, though, is going to look a little bit different from ours. Listen, if we have one person start to groove in the aisles, it makes us Canadians uncomfortable, right? We've got a very kind of hey, everyone just be quiet, everyone just be good, don't bump into me, right? Because we're Canadians. It's lame, but that's who we are, right? You go to a church in West Africa, you know what they're doing? I mean, they're dancing all over the place. Why? Because it's a cultural way of worship. So Paul has his boy Titus here. Listen, he's not following all these traditions that we grew up with, but this guy loves Jesus, he's preaching the gospel, he has great fruit in his ministry, so so circumcision, non-circumcision, hymns or no hymns, robes or no robes, liturgy or no liturgy, communion is a little tiny cracker or a big loaf of bread. Drums, no drums, it doesn't matter. What matters is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as the gospel goes out into different cultures, it's gonna look different. Listen, the gospel's not gonna be different, amen? Jesus Christ lived, died, buried, and rose again, but how it's worked out, how it's lived out, it's gonna form into the culture of where it is because it's Jesus plus nothing, That's the foundation of our faith. Maybe in our culture, maybe it's a little different. You you can see the the big cultural picture, but maybe for us today, it's like somebody saying, listen, listen, if you want to be a Christian, you you need Jesus plus speaking in tongues. You, You need Jesus plus get baptized. You need Jesus plus this magic prayer you need to pray. Jesus plus an experience. Jesus plus something else. And Paul says, no, you just need Jesus You need to recognize that that you are a sinner separated from a holy God and through Christ living the life that you could not live a perfect holy life and then dying in your place, raising again from the grave to conquer sin and death, you are now carried to life. That's all you need. Now listen, will your life look differently after that? For sure it will. I mean, there are things in scripture that it talks about, hey, if you follow Jesus, here's some things that are gonna happen. Hey, you will be baptized. Listen, if you're a follower of Christ and you've never been baptized, you say, but I love Jesus, he's my Lord. Well, Jesus says get baptized. So, so I'm not saying that's a way to salvation, but when you love, when you love Jesus and say, I want to follow what he calls me to, you're going to do these things. You're going to give. You're going to serve. You're going to forgive people. You're going to love. You're going to, you're going to commit to a community together. You're going to dig into the word. But listen, the issue at stake here for this church, and I think for every church, because there's a battle for grace, it's legalism. This idea that you need to work According to your own power, according to your own rules, you need to work in order to gain favor with God. Right behavior, maybe, but wrong heart. You think about it, what the Judaizers were asking this, this church to do, it wasn't really a bad thing they were saying, it wasn't sinful, they were just saying, hey, follow these Jewish traditions. Giving up bacon is not sinful, kinda. I'm just kidding, <laughs> very hard. It's not sinful to give up bacon. But it becomes bad. It becomes the opposite of God's heart. It becomes a lie from hell when you connect the behavior with earning favor before God. think about it in a practical way, because I don't see a lot of us struggling with with the spiritual implications of circumcision or bacon. But but what about some good Christian behaviors? Having a quiet time. Coming Coming to church every Sunday joining a small group, sacrificially giving, serving people. I mean, these are all good things, and and we are called to a, a radical obedience. We are called to a reckless abandonment of self and sin to pursue after holiness, but don't miss this. It becomes legalistic. It becomes bad and wrong and opposing to the gospel. As soon as those behaviors are linked to this idea that in doing those things, you earn favor with God. That because you had a quiet time every single morning this weekend, on Wednesday you even felt a warm fuzzy during it, that that makes you in a better place this morning than sitting beside the person who said, you know what, I haven't read my Bible all week, I haven't prayed for I don't know how long. Listen, listen, both of you, if you know Christ, neither of you have a better standing before God. I mean, that this belief that your value, that, that where you stand before God, that, that, that the more things you do right, the less things you do wrong, it's a Santa Claus theology. That there's somebody watching and he's constantly writing down, I'm, gonna, I'm watching, I'm gonna make sure you're doing things right, and I'm gonna write down all the things you do wrong, and, and I'm coming to, to use this as my future, because I'm gonna use this as a reference later on when I come, and because and the legalist is coming to town, and he's gonna know, you better be good. No crying, no pouting, no matter how you feel, you better better put on a good show. And even if you are struggling, man, you better fake it because there is no crying or pouting allowed. So try harder, be better, look over your shoulder, make sure all appearances are are well. And if you can't do it, you just better fake it. I mean, it's so wired into us. It's so a part of who we are. It's just that we have to say, the way to be accepted is by performance. Because of that, our churches fill up with people who are completely broken. And the, and the, the world has laid so much on them, and, and they're feeling the weight of this. Like, like think about it in this sense, like when you carry grocery bags. And if you forget to bring like your cloth bags because you're saving the earth and you're oh man, I gotta get, and they cost five cents a bag, you're like, no, cram as much stuff in it as you can, right? And what happens when you put too much in the grocery bag? They're not meant to carry that weight, right? And eventually, bam, they break out from underneath you. They, they, they can't bear the weight. Well, listen, there are people in our church here right now who the world has laid so much weight on them. And a church that misses the gospel is not a safe place for broken grocery bags. But listen, in a church that gets grace, in a church that embraces the truth of the gospel, there's this different community, a a church that that understands grace, lives out grace, and and when you're broken, you run back into that community. Because you run into a community that understands that that who you are before God is all grace, all unmerited favor, all unearned favor before a holy God. Listen, it's grace, it's grace. It's grace. So we rally around the broken, the hurting, the messed up, the discouraged, the drifting. Otherwise, listen, if we don't get this gospel, if we don't get grace, we become a church that's way more comfortable being filled with the older brother than the prodigal son. We become a church that says, listen, I, I don't want the prodigal son in here because he's messy, because she's got trouble. I would rather have people that are just so good, in the, that's the older brother. The one who missed it completely. And may it never be so of our church. Paul's saying, listen, the gospel's our only foundation. Stop adding to it. And the, the Judaizers come in. These people who want this Jewish culture added into it. They come in and say, don't talk about grace. It can't be that free. It can't be that easy. If you talk too much about grace, man, people are going to go do whatever they want. And so what do we do? We, we heap this... this, this oppressiveness on people where people think, I have to go through hell if I want to get to heaven. Listen to me, nowhere in God's word does it say that. Hell has been killed through the cross of Christ. It's been defeated. You don't have to go through hell to get to Jesus because Jesus went through hell to get to you. In fact, look at Paul's response to this legalism, verse 4. He goes on. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in. So these aren't believers, all right? These aren't people that know the gospel. You catch that? False brothers. Some false brothers are false because they don't know. They just don't get it. Some are false brothers because they come in and they know what they're doing. Like, I'm going to stir some things up here. And they slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so they might bring us into slavery. Verse 5, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment. I love that. Paul's going, I'm to I'm not giving into this at all. I'm not giving this a second thought. I'm not giving any time to this. So that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seem to be influential, what they wear makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I'd been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas, that's Peter's other name, and John, who seemed to be pillars perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave me the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. So what goes on here? He's saying, listen, Paul explains the gospel. Everybody gets it. He's saying, I don't care who who comes to preach another gospel. He said it already in the first chapter, whether it's an angel or anybody else. If they're not preaching this, don't listen to them. And Peter gets it. Peter goes, it, it's only Jesus. It's all, we're going to different cultures. I'm going to go to the Jews, Peter says. You're going to go to the Gentiles, but it's all Jesus. And he says, hey, Paul, go, keep it up. And the verse 10, this is what they said. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. I love that. Listen, when you get the gospel, when you understand there's nothing I've done to earn this, you can give everything away. I love what it says. It doesn't say, go serve the poor. It says, remember the poor. How do you remember the poor? Because you remember how poor you are. You remember how lost you are without Christ. You remember that Jesus gave everything to carry you from death to life. And what's that do? It's this gospel-driven obedience. You see the difference? You don't give away to the poor to earn brownie points with God. No, when you're transformed by grace, it's just a natural outworking of that grace. Paul goes, that, that's, I'm eager to do that already because I get the gospel. I wish the story ended there, but it doesn't. Unfortunately, that the war against grace is a very tough battle. It seemed that he beat the, the battle of legalism. It seems that Peter, got the gospel wins, but the battle, listen, it wages on because, let's keep reading, not only does grace be a, is grace attacked by legalism, grace is attacked by hypocrisy. Grace is attacked by hypocrisy. Verse 11, when Cephas, that's Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. Why was he condemned? What was he doing? Why is Paul getting upset? Why is he opposing Peter? Verse 12, for before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party, And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you have forced the Gentiles to live like Jews? Picture the scene here. I mean, how awkward would it have been to be in that room right there? So Paul coming in to confront Peter to his face, all right? So Paul, the one who was called by Jesus, coming in. Peter, so picture in a restaurant. There they are, right? There's these tables, a bunch of Gentiles sitting over here, a bunch of Jews sitting here. Paul steps in, sees what's going on, and he's coming to confront Peter. Like, this is like a Western to me, right? Can't you just see it? The whew, and their eyes look at each other. It's all, everyone's like, tables are scattering. The, the music stops, right? Paul confronting Peter, The guy who preached the first Christian sermon sermon where thousands were saved, the the leader of the disciples. This is the guy who walked on water. Imagine being Peter. Hey, Peter, you're screwing stuff up. Yeah, yeah. Remember how I walked on water, right? So here, here comes Paul confronting him Why? Because, yes, legalism, it seemed, was being beat, but it hadn't been fully beaten, and it reared its ugly head, and when it doesn't get beaten, it steps up and becomes this hypocrisy where where now it's not right behavior, wrong belief. Now your behavior is wrong. You you may say you believe in the gospel, but your, your behavior is different. That's hypocrisy. So what's happened? Peter's visited the the Gentile church. He's hanging out with Gentiles. Why? Because if you read in Acts 10 and 11, Peter had this experience where Jesus came to him in a dream and said, Peter, enough with the, this is clean and this is unclean. The Jewish traditions have been dealt with. Go to the Gentiles. And and Peter has this experience. He goes and and he, he meets this guy, Cornelius, and Cornelius and his whole household gets saved. and Peter's a part of that. And so here's Peter. Now, trying to live against his whole religious and cultural upbringing because it's the gospel that's now his foundation. And he finds himself in this, this Gentile church hanging out with these Gentiles in Antioch. He's hanging out with people who, who Jews would look in and go, man, they're unclean. I mean, think, about, think about what ticked off the religious establishment about Jesus. Right? He hung out with, with sinners, with tax collectors, with prostitutes, with drunks. When you get the gospel, when we, re- when we realize that all of us were rescued from that pigsty, when the prodigal son, daughter, wanders in smelling like a pigsty, we don't plug our nose any longer. It's like, yeah, been there. That's where I came from. So everything's going good. Peter's living out the gospel, eating with these Gentiles until these Jewish legalists come in, the circumcision party. What a lame party that would be, right? I'm not going to that one, right? They come in to this place, and slowly Peter starts backing away. He starts getting nervous. Peter starts to, man, what are my friends gonna think? What are these guys? Are these guys going to, man, I I, I don't want to do something that's going to get me in trouble. He backs away. He backs to the point now he's not even hanging out. He's not even looking at them anymore. He's not even with them anymore, not associating, not spending time. Now he's over here with these Jewish believers who are teaching, hey, you can't be accepted by God unless you follow our Jewish laws and our customs. It says in verse 13, even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy catch that. He says, even Barnabas. Who's Barnabas? Barnabas was the guy who, when Paul first gets saved, God says to Barnabas, hey, this is the right guy. And, and Paul goes into, like, the church, and he's, like, going into your small group, this guy who used to kill your brothers and your friends, and your, right? And now he's like, hey, man, your small group. What's up? And you're like, I don't want this guy here. This guy's a murderer. It was Barnabas who said, no. Jesus saved him. Jesus changed him. Jesus is, is all over this. We welcome him as a brother. That's why, but listen, even Barnabas got caught up in the hypocrisy. Paul finds out about this and he goes to Peter. He confronts him to his face. I like that. There's a lot to be said about confrontation. We're gonna talk about it later in Galatians when we get into Galatians chapter six, but, but just think, Paul doesn't just talk about him, doesn't gossip about him, doesn't say, hey, hey can we pray for Peter? Gossip, right? <laughs> Yeah, he's just struggling. Let, let's all pray. No, he doesn't do that. He, what's he do? He goes straight to Peter, going, Peter, what's going on? Verse 14, he says, when I saw that their conduct was what? Not in step with the truth of the gospel. When, when they weren't walking in line with the gospel is what that really means. When they weren't walking in rhythm with the gospel. When you say you believe one thing, when we as Christians say, it's all grace, all grace, all grace, but then we live in a different way, we're not in rhythm, we're not in step. and We confuse the gospel. Think about it this way, if you were playing in a jazz band, and you're telling us, hey man, I love jazz. I play guitar. I play, let's do this. Let's, let's go. I, I get the music and the song begins, and you start rocking out your very best death metal tunes and screaming them out while the rest of the band is trying to play jazz, and the, the audience you're playing for is expecting jazz. And you're like, no, 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 man, I'm totally into jazz. I love it. And you go right back to shredding your guitar. It's not a rhythm, it sounds horrible. The, the whole band is messed up because you're out of step. Listen, this is, this is hypocrisy. And I might be saying, I'm all about Jesus, and, and my belief may be solved. I maybe have like everything dialed down. I, mean, I know the gospel, I understand who Christ is, but then my life lived out loudly says something else. It sounds horrible. Bring this into the church. We may not have the same struggle that that they're talking about here, that Paul's talking about. No no one's going to lose it because you're you're having a BLT, right? But what what about us? What areas in our lives, what area in your life does not reflect what we say about the gospel? Peter bought into these false teachers. What, What false teachers have you been buying into? And so often you hear false teachers, you start thinking of people outside, and, well, guy, who are you talking about? Name some of these false teachers. I'm not going to, because here's the problem. The greatest false teacher usually is my own heart. When I start to excuse things in my life that no longer line up to the gospel, to the truth of the gospel, I'm believing my own false teacher. Where is your life not living in rhythm with the gospel? Is it in your finances? How you handle your money? Is it in the way you treat your spouse? Are you reflecting the gospel or are you loudly living in a whole other way that sounds horrible? Is it in your parenting? How you're treating, how you're raising your kids? Are young people, is it in the way you're treating your parents? Is it living in step with the gospel, what we're called to as Christ followers? Are there areas of impurity in your life and, and you're believing a false teacher in your heart, says no, but it's okay because it feels right, it feels good, and God guys I no, that's not in step with the gospel. Is it in your life, your business, your attitudes, your words, where in your life, where in my life are there things that are not lining up with the gospel? Are you walking in rhythm? This is so hard for the early church here. Why? Because here they are as this Jewish church. They've been raised in patterns of life that have been hardened into them for centuries. And and now the gospels come in and it's shattering those ways of living. Are, Are there patterns in your life that have been so hardened through generation after generation after generation? You hear a lot about generational sins. Don't be confused. Don't say, well, yeah, I heard about that. Like, because my great aunt, third removed on my mom's side, once played with a Ouija board, so now I got to break that curse. Listen, Jesus' cross broke all the curses, okay? I'm talking about this generational sin. My dad was angry. My grandpa was angry. His dad was angry, so I'm just angry. The gospel breaks that. Don't live in that that excuse. Maybe for you, maybe where you are right now, you're saying, listen, that generational sin stops with me. I'm not passing this on to the next generation. I'm going to live in a different way because of the gospel, that this isn't going to go forward. Whatever that is. And maybe as parents, we spend so much time, pray for my kids, my kids this way, my kids, maybe this morning you stop and go, Lord, change me. Lord, Lord, may I live out the gospel so that that generational sin is broken because my kids aren't going to see in me any longer what was passed down through parent after parent after parent. It's going to stop in this generation. The gospel is going to change that. The gospel says you don't have to live under that burden any longer. There is hope through Christ. Don't fall into the patterns of past generations. Let Jesus break that chain this morning. All of this to say this, what is your foundation this morning? What is your life built on? Is it built on Jesus? Is it built on the gospel? Is it built on the grace that says that God's love isn't based on your performance, it's based on His finished work? I think too often in church we hear this, we hear, we hear you, you, you suck, you suck, you suck, you need Jesus, you need Jesus, then you find Jesus and you say okay, you've got Jesus, but you know what, you really still suck. I get it, there is conviction. Sometimes the Lord presses in with conviction or heart, and maybe even this morning, you're thinking of those areas in your life that do not line up with the gospel, that's good. We should be moved to pursue holiness, but, but what motivates you to pursue that change? What motivates you to, to pursue Christ more? I think about it in the area of marriage. If, if you were to come up to me, and, and I'm going into 17 years of marriage. We celebrate this year, and you're saying, Hi, How is it, why have you stayed with your wife for 17 years?" And I would say, well, let me get the marriage document, because I signed this piece of paper. So the law basically says we're married, so I got to stay here, right? (laughs) Nobody's going to go, man, that's beautiful. I have got to write a song about that. We'll make a movie about your life because that is just as this, no, no. But what do I say? Hey, Kai, tell me about your marriage. Why do you still pursue your wife after 17 years of marriage? Because she's the most beautiful woman I know. Because the more I get to know her, the more beautiful she is to me and the more I find out about her, the deeper in love I fall with her. And you say, that's what I want. So think about Jesus if somebody asks you, hey, why do you live this way? Because I gotta. The Bible says I have to do this, so that's what I do. And... But what if we understood the gospel and we said, because Jesus loves me and changed me, and the more I learn about him, the more I love him, and the more I want to be with him, and the more I want to be like him. That's the story of Scripture. Don't don't look at Paul and Peter and Barnabas. We we don't want to build these guys up as, well, these are the heroes of the faith. I want to live like they lived. I want to be like they are. And and so what do we do? We we take the stories of Scripture. We we take the gospel right out of them. We teach them to our kids going, hey, listen, don't be like Cain. He killed his brother. Be like Noah. He had this crazy faith in God. He built an ark when, when nobody else believed. And we, we teach that, right? But, but what's the Bible actually say about Noah? It says that, that God had what? God had favor on Noah, another word for grace. God showed him his grace. Noah didn't do great things so God went No, no, Noah was chosen, accepted by God. God poured out his grace on him, a messed up sinner, used him for great things. He says, listen, if you're gonna take Noah and say, you know what, just live like him, kids. And he's our champion. Hey, remember what he did when he got off the ark? He got drunk and naked. That completely ruins the Sunday school lesson, right? It is some seriously jacked up flannel graph. You gotta figure out how to make this, right? It's just, right? What's it saying? Listen, Scripture isn't a book of heroes to emulate, to follow after. What do we discover? The Bible's full of people that aren't heroes at all. Jesus is the hero of Scripture. These great men and women of faith, they fall, they fail, they make huge mistakes, they get afraid, they're selfish, they're deceptive, they're egotistical, they're unreliable. The Bible, though, is one long story of God meeting rebellion and brokenness with His grace, rescuing us in our sin. God is the hero of every story. He's not on top of the ladder, Christian. Listen, listen. if you're a follower of Christ, He's not on top of the ladder shouting at you, climb harder so you can earn my love. He's at the bottom of the ladder on a cross where He said, it's finished. It's done. Grace says that you can't run far enough you can't disobey long enough, you can't do anything wrong enough that God does not pursue you and want you back. Because of grace, there's hope. Listen, if you're here this morning, you're saying, hey, I don't struggle with all that brokenness, guy, like great sermon for the busted up people, but I got this dialed in, like I got this whole Jesus thing figured out. Listen to what George Whitfield said, the famous preacher. He said, we don't only need to repent of our sins, but also of our righteousness. You catch that? If you really know the gospel, you don't just say, Lord, I'm bringing my sin to the cross. You say, Lord, here's my good works too. I'm even repenting of those. I'm I'm bringing those because I recognize these don't earn me favor. And I, I do them out of love, not a need to earn your love. And so what do we read here? We see Peter. We see Barnabas making these mistakes. And it's so encouraging, isn't it? It should be encouraging, listen, if you're here and, you, and you're broken and you're troubled and you're desperate for grace, you can read these stories as hope and comfort. Man, even Peter, even Barnabas dropped the ball and there was grace. But listen, listen, if you're here and you think, man, I, I'm doing really good right now, then you should read about Peter and Barnabas and not just bring hope. It should bring a bit of fear. You should feel the weight. If you're broken, hear the hope of this story. If you're proud... Martin Luther said it this way, no one has ever fallen so grievously that he could not have stood up again, and no one has such a sure footing that he cannot fall. Did you catch that? No one's fallen so grievously that he could not stand up again, but no one has such a sure footing that he cannot fall. If Peter fell, I can fall too. You can fall too. If Peter stood up again, I can stand up again too. Every one of us here has been carried by our Father, carried from death to life if you know Jesus. And if you've been a a follower of Christ and you're further away than you ever thought you could go, listen, listen. The gospel says Christ will bring you back. Fall into the arms of your gracious Father in repentance and, and, and allow the gospel to bring you back. Listen, if you don't know Christ, if you've never made that commitment, you go, well, I want that. What do I need to do? What do you? I hope you're hearing this. You don't need to do anything. What you need to do, you need to rest in the gospel, in the good news of Jesus Christ, where you say, here's all my sin, all my brokenness, and I'm giving it all to Christ to say it's all on him, and I want to follow him with my entire life. You rest fully in that gospel truth. If you're here this morning, and maybe you are a legalist, and you struggle with legalism, the answer is the same. Fall into the arms of your gracious Father. Would you stand with me as the worship comes up and as I pray? Heavenly Father, I pray that you would remind us every day that, that it's only through you. God, not, not any effort on our part, but it's you that saved us. Remind us that it's only you that can bring hope. Remind us that it's only you that can rescue us. And Father, may we live out that every day. God, when we're we're broken because of sinful choices we've made, to know that we just need to turn to you. And if we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness and that are standing before you. If we know you, Lord Jesus, justification was not a process. It happened immediately and we are made right before you. For those weighed down by a past filled with choices they wish they could do over, God, may they hear the gospel this morning and recognize only you can rescue. For those here this morning, God, if if we struggle with with legalism, with, I I think I've got this figured out, I'm doing so great, God, may we be reminded to bring even that to the cross. Say, Lord, I repent of even my good works because it's only you. Thank you, Father, you've carried us from death to life through your Son. I pray this morning that those who know Jesus will be able to celebrate that, live out of that those this morning who don't know you, Christ, could receive that. And God, there's a church we would live out the gospel every day. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.